Today is Palm Sunday. You know, Palm Sunday is a very interesting Sunday for me as I was growing up because I never really understood it, to be honest with you. I, I, I knew that as a kid, I would walk around the church and uh, as a pastor's kid, I would have to carry palm branches this Sunday and I'd walk through the service, circle around the people that were sitting down or standing up singing. And then as we walked out through the back to go to children's church, uh, we gave our palm branches away. And it was a very interesting time for me uh, because I didn't quite connect it to Easter. And I just thought, okay, this is when we wave palm branches around and say, Hosanna in the highest. I didn't even know what Hosanna in the highest meant. In fact, I think many of you might not even know what the word Hosanna means as well. And palm branches, why wave palm branches? Do palm branches have a significance that we're unsure of? Um, and, and then also Jesus was riding on a donkey. And while everybody was chanting and cheering, didn't Jesus cry? Like, what, why is he crying? What, what is he crying about? Why is he weeping? And it, I never really understood Palm Sunday. And it wasn't until this week as I was preparing for this message, I realized the irony between me not understanding Palm Sunday growing up and the people participating in the original Palm Sunday not understanding exactly what was going on as well. But is there something that we can glean from this? Is there something from this passage? Is Palm Sunday more significant than we actually give it credit for? Um, we understand the significance of Good Friday. We understand the significance of Easter. But Palm Sunday, doesn't it just seem like a throwaway Sunday? Well, I'd like to challenge you this morning as we, we listen to this sermon that Palm Sunday has some incredible significance that actually means something for us today. And I want you to participate in it. Maybe consider it more deeply. The other thing I want you to do is because we are doing this through online streaming, you have the opportunity to do something that you would get in trouble for at church. You get to Google some of these things. And I want to invite you to participate in this sermon in a way that maybe you've never done before and see some of the images that I might even tell you about as we go through this Sunday. So we're going to call this Palm Sunday. Where, what, why? Because ultimately, we're asking where did this happen, what actually happened, and why is this significant? If you want to join with me by reading the passages with me, you can go ahead and turn to Mark 11, which is where we're going to start. And our first where is a town called Bethpage. It's spelled Bethpage, but many call it Bethpage. In Mark 11, verse 1, the words sound like this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and I will send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying the colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to do. And the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus 
and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. The location is Bethpage. You see, it's at the end of the road of ascent. You might not have heard of the road of ascent before, but what it happens is people from all over Israel, especially the north, would come down through uh, by the Jordan River, down across the Jordan River, would go into a town called Jericho. You've probably heard of Jericho before. And as they leave there, they walk toward Jerusalem, which is pretty much due west. But they are at a riverbed, and Jerusalem is up on a mountain. And so this long road goes through hills and goes through mountains and goes through actually a wilderness. This wilderness there is the same wilderness that I think Jesus was tempted in by Satan. It's also the same wilderness and road that Jesus referred to whenever he told the story of the Good Samaritan, where the Good Samaritan was uh, attacked by robbers and left there as people were walking to Jerusalem for worship and they didn't want to help him because they didn't want to defile themselves before going into the temple. It was much like this event. So people would walk in crowds on this road of ascent all the way to Bethany and Bethpage, which were pretty much the closest towns that were open for business. And they would walk in large groups for safety reasons. And they would sing psalms. And there's actually psalms called the Psalms of Ascent, which you can find in Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. Fifteen psalms which share a couple of things. They share the goodness of who God is, his deliverance, his salvation. They also share your hope. They share who you are and how much need you have in God. So imagine this. On this road, this large crowd ascending up to Bethany, Bethpage, the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. They are singing songs, not just with themselves, but with the Son of God himself, Jesus. I don't know how many of you have been in an environment where you've been able to sing praise to God around other people that are in tune with God that are spiritually loving God, that are close to God. You know, it's, it, there's just something a little different about them, as if the spirit inside them is real, it's alive. And as you sing next to them, it inspires you, it, it moves you, it causes you to take seriously the words. You feel a depth in the word. Every word has a weight about it and you connect to it. And you almost do that thing, you know that thing that we do whenever we hear something that really moves us? We make that sound, you know, like, mmm as if we ate something delicious, but it comes from the heart, not from the stomach. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's just, mm, that's just a rich word. And you can just hear this as Jesus is singing this and the people, there's disciples that are following them are seeing this and you can, it's almost causing a ruckus. Like people are walking with Jesus as they walk here and they get to Bethany, which is the home where Jesus uh, uh, goes to visit his friends. Uh, Lazarus, who he had just raised from the dead only a few months earlier or weeks earlier. Uh, Mary and Martha, his sisters. And it's often where Jesus would stay. And Jesus paused there to see his friends. But then he sent his disciples, a couple of his disciples on ahead to go pick up a donkey. And they go into this town that's close by, but it's at the base of the Mount of Olives on the opposite side of Jerusalem. And as they get there, the place is called Bethpage. And Bethpage, if you want to know, it means house of unripe figs, which is actually going to come into play later this week. And as they get there, they are looking and sent to go pick up a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, right? 
And as they walk into the town, they almost see one immediately, it seems like, tied to a doorpost. Without asking, they just go and begin to take it. And you might be thinking, what are they doing? In fact, some people ask, what are you doing? And they say, the Lord himself needs it. Well, miraculously, they let them take the colt without even causing a ruckus. Now, I've always read this as, oh, that's pretty miraculous. Because in Zechariah 9, 9, 100 years before Jesus ever walked into Jerusalem, it was prophesied that this would happen. In Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, this donkey had never been ridden before. And Jesus was asking them to go grab this donkey that didn't recognize those people and take them to Jesus. And they do, and the donkey obeys. And then the last action is they throw their cloaks on top of the donkey and Jesus sits on it to ride over the Mount of Olives, down the Mount of Olives, and into Jerusalem. There's a couple of things here that have some pretty big significance. Um, Number one, Uh, the fact that this donkey had never been ridden was pretty significant. But the other side is what that signified culturally at that time. You see, people were responding to Jesus. They were chanting, they were shouting, and they began to stir emotionally in them. Is this man something more than what we expected? I mean, is this, could this possibly be the Messiah? Could this possibly be the king? Could this be the one we've been waiting for, the one that'll offer deliverance? I mean, we were singing those songs together. Didn't you feel a stir in you as you were singing them? This might be him. I mean, he's going to ride in on a donkey, just like it says in the Hebrew text. And so they recognize it. Culturally, significantly, a king, whenever he would enter the city, if he was riding on a donkey, he came in gentleness and peace. If he rode on a horse, he was coming to conquer as if war. And so Jesus gets on this donkey and they all think, what can we do? And they begin offering their cloaks. You see, I think many of us struggle with this. We see something going on. We recognize how God's working and we say, what can we do? What can we be a part of? I mentioned earlier in the announcements about how you were generous enough to offer that money for the special missions and outreach fund. And we're looking at thinking, what can we do now? What can we do to be a blessing to help reach others? And you're thinking that as well. In fact, there's one member in our church says, seize this opportunity and recognize that there's a homeless population in Dallas that is not getting their needs met at this moment. In fact, it's pretty tough for the homeless population. Some of those shelters have closed because they cannot continue to stay open at this time. Others, uh, places where homeless people are going to wash their hands and stay uh, within, keep their hygiene up and and go to the bathroom, those, those buildings and those facilities are closed. How do they wash their hands? I mean, if the pandemic hits those people, it's gonna cause a significant issue. What can we do? Well, one couple at our church decided she could do something with her husband. And so they started 
creating these friendship bags, which by the way, they had already been doing. They just recognized it was needed now more than ever. And so they began collecting. And we, our church, we actually gave to them. And they created these friendship bags with food necessities and hand sanitizers because they needed to be able to stay clean, to stay safe, to stay healthy. And she ran out of money within the first few days, actually. Ran out quickly. So we called out and, and the church offered her money and she spent that money in one day. And so then we said, is there anybody else that can help? She has been doing this for two weeks with her husband and her children every other day and has not run out of money because people keep dropping off checks, supplies, and other things. Because she said, what can I do? And she was a part of it. We have a list of people here at the church that are waiting to be used. What can we do during this time for the people that are older that can't get out, the people that are high risk that, that need help? And we've sent people around Dallas to run errands and to go visit people, to drop off goods for people that have need. You're sitting there and saying, what can I do? Like those people that are around Jesus that's mounting this donkey. What can we do? How can we be a part of this? It's the right attitude. It's the right question. What can you do? Can I propose a couple of things that you can actually do? Can you pray for us? Can you pray for us that are doing things, that have the resources, that are going around reaching others? What can I do? Can you share even this sermon, even these messages, even these songs that we're singing with others online? Can you call people to encourage them, to pray with them? Ask them how you can pray for them. Even people that are unbelievers are welcoming that question right now. What can I do? You can do something significant, even if it feels like it isn't. I would encourage you to continue to ask that question. What can I do? And you know what? God can use it. Our next scene comes from the Mount of Olives. So if you look in Mark 11, 8 through 10, the Mount of Olives is the last ascent. It's the highest peak. And so this is what happens as Jesus ascends the Mount of Olives and then begins to descend the Mount of Olives here. Verse eight, many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread their branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. You see, the Mount of Olives is a, a pretty significant place in history. And right here, it's the last ridge before you see the holy city of Jerusalem. If you haven't been there or seen a picture, um, the Mount of Olives is actually higher than Jerusalem. So as you go over the Mount of Olives, you look down on Jerusalem. If you have to Google uh, Jerusalem or, or look for what it looks like, most likely the picture that you are gonna see is from the Mount of Olives looking down at the city of Jerusalem. And the first thing you see is this wall with this, uh, at the top of the wall, there's this gate and this, behind this gate, there's the temple that's there. That's the same thing Jesus saw as he peeked over it. 
this path that Jesus took is incredibly rocky. It's incredibly slippery. Um, And people are trying to make it comfortable for this colt, this donkey that's never had anyone ride on it. And so what they do is they begin laying down their cloaks. They lay down their palm branches so that the the road is smooth. Earlier when we had our prayer, I read from Psalm 121, and it mentions the line, let our feet not stumble or slip on the rocks. It describes actually that path that you take, that it would happen. People would twist an ankle on this, and they're caring for their king, and they're shouting Hosanna in the highest. Now, Hosanna means, Lord, please save us. But it's, it's a prayer that's called out in exclamation, like a praise. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're recognizing that Jesus is the one that's coming to save. And they have in their mind that he's coming as a king. And everybody is excited about this. Everybody is uh, incredibly encouraged by this moment. And they're doing what they can. They're offering their cloaks. They're laying them down. They're shouting together, just like it says they will do. But Jesus has a different attitude at this time. If you look at Luke 19, 41, it says, As he approached Jerusalem, that's Jesus, and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The attitude of Jesus is incredibly different than the attitude of the people because they didn't recognize what was going on. In fact, around that spot where Jesus did this, they've built a church. You can Google this as well. Um, The church is called Dominus Flavit, which means the Lord weeps or the Lord cries. And you can look at it, and the church is actually shaped like an upside-down teardrop. And in the courtyard around it, as shrubbery, there are palm trees around the outside of it signifying that they were shouting Hosanna in the highest while Jesus was weeping over the city. They knew the king had come, but they didn't understand why the king had come. They misread the situation. They were worshiping the God they wanted to worship, not the God that actually was there presenting himself. Jesus didn't come as a king the first time. He came as a Messiah. But he came as a king that meant to offer his life, a sacrifice. And so earlier he says, the son of man came to serve, not to be served. They were serving Jesus, but Jesus came to serve them. He even says earlier, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Jesus had already shared with his disciples and those around him what was going to happen. And as he comes over the Mount of Olives, his emotions get the best of him. 
the Mount of Olives is an incredibly emotional place for Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays and cries tears of blood and sweats tears of blood also. He also, on the Mount of Olives, gives the, uh, gives the talk of, uh, called the Olivet Discourse where he talks about what will happen in the future and it's emotional for, the, for him. He's incredibly weighted, weighed down by this moment. And at this time, as he sees Jerusalem, a time where everybody else is shouting, Jesus is weeping. The people didn't quite recognize the God that was there. Are you humble enough to accept God's plan instead of your ideal? I mean, it, it, obviously right now, according to God's foreknowledge, his plan for the entire world, this coronavirus situation was a part of what he designed. And we don't understand why it's here, but we have to respond to it and recognize it. In scripture, whenever pestilence happens, it always is a call for believers to turn back to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that this is the end times. I'm not saying that this is what God prophesied would happen in Revelation. What I am saying is that moments and events that happen in our lives have a purpose and believers are supposed to respond to that through repentance and turning to the Lord. You might be sitting here watching this lesson right now, listening to this sermon, hearing these words. I promise you there is a reason God has allowed this to happen at this time. And one of those reasons is because it's reaching people that were not seeking the Lord. You can pray for those people. And if you happen to be one of those people that has rejected the Lord, that might be wondering why this is going on, it's because he wants to take, give you time so that you can turn to him, so that you can follow him, so that you can seek him and see how good and how great he is. Because the truth is, is this world is not for us, but the one that's permanent, that will have no hurt, no pain, no sickness is for us. And we're supposed to respond to the savior and the message he has for us, not the ideal that we're making up in our minds. Are you willing to recognize that? Are you willing to take this time right now, beginning now, to continue to seek him? Our third stop is the temple. Jesus descends down the Mount of Olives. He goes through the Kidron Valley and he begins to ascend up to this temple mount. The temple mount is actually built on Mount Moriah, which Believe it or not, it's actually where Abraham offered his son Isaac on the table. And as he lifted his knife to kill his son, as God instructed him, God stopped him and instead offered a substitute sacrifice, a ram that was caught in a thorn bush by his head and his horns. And Jesus is walking to that same location, offering himself as a sacrifice. It says in Mark 11, verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. What? He just, he just left. 
He just left. This is the Messiah. This is the king. He's supposed to ride in as a king, as a conqueror. He's supposed to make a public statement that rallies the troops. This is the place where he gives his state of the union. He marks his territory and he says, from this moment on, you will follow me. And everybody would rally around him and the Roman government would be overthrown. But instead, when Jesus walks in, it begins to get silent. The murmurs are still going on. They know this is Jesus, but Jesus does not do anything according to them. But what I think Jesus did was incredibly significant. You see, this day, this Sunday and Monday and the beginning of the week of the Passover, you would bring your Passover lamb up to the temple to be looked at and accepted by the priest. You would walk them through that west side gate, the sheep gate. And the sheep gate is where I think Jesus walked in. Now, what was happening at this time, though, is people would bring in their sacrifice, their lamb, to be approved. And there would be a table there of people saying, well, you know what? Uh, That one's pretty good, but we have a better one back here. If you pay me a little extra money and give me this lamb, then what we'll do is we'll provide you the sacrifice that's been pre-approved by the priests. And they created this system, this racket, where they were taking money and they were getting wealthy based off of this. And then they would take that lamb that other person brought, they would bring it to the back of the line, and later on they would pass that out to somebody else that brought in a lamb. Jesus walked in. They didn't recognize him as a lamb because there was no other lamb that was better than him. He was the offering, the sacrifice of God himself. And he walks into the temple to be observed by the priest, to be approved by the priest, but there was no priest that walks up to Jesus. Or was there? In Hebrews 9, it actually says this. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of good things to come, he did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. When Jesus walks into the temple, He's presenting himself as a sacrifice to the high priest. And no other perfect high priest could have offered it but Jesus himself. Earlier in John 10, verse 18, it says this, but I lay down my own life by my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus alone is the sacrifice for all of our sins. He is the high priest that offered it perfectly for all of our sins. There is no one that could have offered it. There's no one that could have given their life. Only Jesus himself, the sinless lamb of God, presented in the perfect place at the perfect moment to be offered right then, and it was accepted. So while everybody else looked on the moment and thought Jesus did nothing, What Jesus did was incredibly important. He offered the one payment that was approved by God himself. God did what only he could. It was good enough for God. Why wouldn't Jesus' offering be good enough for you? You see, many of us want to add to salvation. No, I have to do something to obtain salvation instead of just accepting what God himself has given us. You see, they didn't recognize what was going on. 
You know, I wasn't going to share this story, but it's too perfect for this situation. Um, there was a guy named Alan Funt. Alan Funt hosted a show and started a show called Candid Camera. And back in 1969, on this show, Candid Camera, he was world famous because he would cause these situations that caused people to be surprised. But he played practical jokes on them and prank them. And then all of a sudden, he revealed that they were on camera the whole time. And everybody would, oh my goodness, they would, they would be relieved and say, oh, I can't believe this was on camera. Oh my goodness. And they'd laugh. It was a hilarious show. Alan Funt and his family actually traveled from New York to Miami for vacation or to see a friend or someone like that in 1969. And as he was on this plane, believe it or not, this was a time when there were people from Cuba on the plane and they hijacked the plane. But the people on board were worried at first until they turned around and they saw Alan Funt in the plane. You can Google this. It is absolutely true. And they see Alan Funt and they've been murmuring amongst themselves saying, oh, it's Alan Funt. I think we're on camera to camera. But they wanted to play along with it so they were obedient. Instead of being worried, they began to be jovial and they were excited they were a part of something big. And Alan Funt and his family was like, this is not a candid camera moment. This is real. Cubans have really hijacked our plane and they really are taking us to Havana, Cuba. In fact, a pudger, what's described as a pudger Cuban stands up and puts a knife to a stewardess's throat and people begin to snicker and say, oh, okay, we'll be quiet now. And they fly past Miami and they land in Havana, Cuba. And at that moment, they stand up and they give an applause to Alan Funt. And Alan's still trying to say, no, this is not what's going on. They give him a standing ovation as they walk off, patting him on the back, out of the plane. They begin to get on these buses and reality starts to set in. Oh no, this is, this, is, this is not a prank. This is real. And what went from praise towards him went to ridicule. They began cussing him out and they began accusing him of being part of this when he wasn't a part of this the whole time. The same thing ends up happening to Jesus. The same thing ends up happening to Jesus that he walks in and they expect the Messiah, the King to take over. And what happens is the Messiah, the sacrifice, the high priest is the one that's working here. People will accuse God because he doesn't do what they expect him to do. But the truth is, is only God knows exactly why you're going through what you're going through. And our only hope is in Jesus Christ himself. Is he enough for you? Are you trying to add to the perfect presentation that he's given you, the perfect sacrifice? Are you trying to add to your salvation? Are you trying to minimize what he did like those people around Jesus? Or at this time, are you saying, no, it matters now. The things of this world I had hope in don't offer as much hope as I thought they would. In fact, they can be taken away. But the one thing that can never be taken away is the fact that Jesus Christ offered his life as a fulfillment of all sin because he who knew no sin became sin for us. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you can rest assured in that. And if you haven't made that decision today to believe in Jesus and obtain the perfect sacrifice through faith. I encourage you to accept that today.
because it's true, it's everlasting, and it offers the only hope you can have. In a minute, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper and communion. And before we do that, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your incredible sacrifice and offering. Lord, allow our worship to really seek you so that our hearts might be stirred and the Spirit might fill us so we can walk faithfully after you. Amen.